Well, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. So glad that you're joining us here in person and those of you that are joining us online. Hey, uh, just another reminder, Christmas Eve, uh, we have two o'clock and four o'clock services. We would love to see you and a guest that you bring. If you're going to be uh, out of town, if you'd like to watch live, we're going to uh, broadcast the four o'clock service. So that's that's for your information. Also, I just want to let you know, so we're going we're gonna to do all of our Christmas stuff and then the new year is going to hit us. And I just want to give you an update of where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing. So every Every January, we do something called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, and so we're going to invite you to take part, however the Lord leads you, uh, perhaps a, a partial fast, a full fast, uh, maybe you'd like to fast from television or social media, uh, be praying about how the Lord might want you to engage during the 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. This this year, as we kind of look at a spiritual discipline, we're going to talk about Bible engagement, what it means to have the Bible, to read the Bible, and to engage it. And so one of the things that we're talking about doing right now is for us as a church, church to write out the New Testament. So, so all of us are going to have an opportunity to take little three and a half by five cards and, and write on those three by five cards a verse, and then uh, we'll compile those. Most likely, uh, we'll pass those out maybe in 10 verse chunks, I imagine, uh, and you can write out 10 verses, and then you can bring them back here to the church. Uh, maybe during service, you'll be able to lay them down in a, in a basket or bring them forward. So everybody's going to have an opportunity, if you would like, to write out scripture, uh, one verse on one card, and uh, we'll go through the entire New Testament as a church. We'll just write it out. You can use whatever version you want to use as you're writing that. So I'm looking forward to us engaging God's Word. That series is going to be called Text, and I would encourage you uh, to bring your phones during that time as well, all right? Uh, so Christmas time, and, and I started thinking about just all of the, the different images and symbols that we have at Christmas, all these different icons. And so we're going to talk about some of the, the symbols of Christmas. Uh, we're going to talk about the star and the, the cross and the manger, and we're going to talk about the stable and all those, those, those kinds of things. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the gift, the gift of Christmas. So if you would, open your Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in both Matthew and Luke as we get started here. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. Very familiar passages at Christmas time. Perhaps you would be able to just quote some of these. This is Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All of that means is that this is a virgin birth, that this is a miracle. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, they're not married yet, but they are betrothed. This is a very formal engagement in this culture. And if you're going to back out of a formal engagement, it would require divorce papers. They have not come together. This is a virgin birth. It goes on. But as he considered, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All right, let's turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 4 there. And as you're turning to the book of Luke, just remember, Luke made a careful study of the life of Jesus Christ. And so Luke, it's thought, he interviewed Mary. 
So as you're reading the, the Christmas account in the book of Luke, you have all of this kind of firsthand information from Mary and what it was like to be pregnant with Jesus and his birth and all of the events that were surrounding that. And this is what we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And Joseph, Joseph also went up from Galilee, that's the region, from the town of Nazareth, so Nazareth is in Galilee, to Judea, that's the region, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I heard this story one time about a very weary traveler. This traveler, this man, had been flying several different legs across the United States, all different kinds of connecting flights before he could get home. And this weary traveler was in the last airport on his connecting flight, and he was just kind of worn out, so he decided that he was going to go to the coffee kiosk and get some coffee and some donuts. So he went to the coffee kiosk, he gets his coffee, he gets his donuts, and he gets his carry-on bag and his coat and all of his stuff, he gathers it up, and he goes over to the section of the airport where you can have food and stuff like that and all of the tables and the chairs, and as he looked around, the place was packed. There was no place for him to sit down. There was no table that was not taken, uh, although he did see one man sitting by himself, and he had two chairs available. And the man kind of waved to the weary traveler, like, go ahead, you, you can have a seat here. So the weary traveler made his way over there with his coat and his bag and his coffee and all of his stuff, and he set down his coffee, and he took his coat and his carry-on and all of his stuff, and he just set it in the chair next to him, and he just kind of, uh, you know, exhausted, fell into his chair. Just really weary, but thankful now to be sitting down with this nice gentleman who let him have a seat. So he starts sipping his coffee. And then he opens up his bag of donuts, and he gets a donut, and he pulls it out, and he starts to eat his donut. Well, the man across the table notices him eating his donut, and he's like, well, that looks good. So the man reaches into the bag of donuts, takes one of the donuts, and eats them, kind of smiles and nods and eats the donut. The weary traveler's thinking, oh, my goodness, what just happened? Who does that? And he's like frustrated. Like, I, I bought the donuts. This guy's eating my donuts. Who does that? And he would like to confront him, but he's too exhausted. He's just like, ah, I'm going to let it go. But he's angry on the inside. Who, that's just rude. So he, he decides he's going to have another donut. So the weary traveler reaches in, grabs another of his donuts. And this time he pulls the donut sack a little closer to himself and his coffee. Just kind of make the point. Well, that doesn't deter the other guy. The other guy reaches even further and gets into the bag, pulls out a donut, kind of smiles, nods, and eats the donut. And the guy's thinking, this is crazy. I can't believe what I've seen now twice. So he's getting frustrated. He's like, well, I'm going to have to say something about this. And as he's about ready to confront the guy, the other man's getting up. He's obviously got a plane to catch, so he gets all of his stuff put together. But before he goes, he reaches back into the donut bag. Now there's only one donut left. 
He takes the donut, he breaks it in half, puts the other half in the bag, and eats the other half, kind of smiles and nods, and off he goes. And this guy's thinking, who does this? This is absolutely crazy. Why would somebody do this? I've never seen it before. And he's just kind of seething on the inside. Well, he looks at the time, and it's time for his flight. So he decides it's time to go. So he takes one last big sip of coffee. Uh, he gets his carry-on bag. He gets his coat off the chair. And there under his coat is his bag of donuts. <laughs> It's really interesting, between the two services, the amount of time that either some of you were on a long time ago to that or not. I don't know. But, but here's the deal. What this guy thought was another person taking from him was somebody being generous. But in his frustration, he thought that this person was taking from him and he missed, he missed the gift of generosity. Christmas is about the gift of generosity. Christmas is about the gift of God given to the world. And friend, you don't want to miss that gift. God is a giving God. See, I think the most Familiar passage, the most familiar verse would have to be John 3, 16. Wouldn't you? I mean, we see it everywhere. People memorize it. I think our, our students memorized it in Joyland last week. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave. This is, this is God for you. This is God on your side. This is God not wanting to take something from you, but to give you something. He wants something for you. Christmas is all about the gift of God given to us. We see this in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a child, a son is given. He's given to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there in Luke, when when we see that these angels have come and, and they're announcing the birth of Jesus, what do they say? They say in verse 11, for unto you, unto you is born, unto you is given this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, this is God for you. God doesn't want to take something from you. God wants to give you something. And I don't know if you've ever personalized the fact that there is this God, this creator, this being who made everything. He made all of the stars, and we can't count them all. He made all of the galaxies, and we're not quite sure how many of those there are and where that might reach its end. And yet, in all of the expanse of this entire universe, he decides to make a you. He could have made anybody, but he made you. And he put a soul in you. And he moves in your direction to let you know that he exists and that he loves you and he isn't here to take from you, but to give you life, to give you himself. We don't have a greedy God, we have a generous God. And Christianity is unique among all the religions. Other religions would say, no, this, this God, he wants something from you. You're going to have to perform for this God. You're going to have to work for this God in some way to get in the good graces of this God. But our God says, no, 
I've come in your direction because I have something to give to you. There's nothing that you have in and of yourself that I want from you. I want to give you a very generous gift. And he offers his son, Jesus Christ. He offers us a gift, not in wrapping paper with a bow, but in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger, born to a peasant teenage girl in a smelly barn to be a servant, a gift to you. The Apostle Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says this, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a gift. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, so Jesus was rich. Jesus, who is eternally God, for all of time, had been in heaven and had no want, no need, everything at his disposal, angels worshiping him. He was contained and joyful in and of himself in the Trinity and what was happening in heaven. He had everything he needed. He was rich, yet, Paul says, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And this isn't rich, you lining your pockets, rich, you get a nicer car, rich, you get a bigger home. This is rich spiritually, that Jesus Christ would set aside the glories of heaven, not counting it as his own, but come to this place, take on the flesh of man and the nature of a servant and die in your place so that you might be rich spiritually forever in heaven with him. And then Paul goes on and he gives us this verse in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And that gift is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gift that's given to us. And again, I mentioned we, we have all kinds of symbols, all kinds of, of images at this time of year that remind us of, of Christmas. And those images point us to the gift. They point us to Jesus Christ. In fact, I was thinking about some of the ways that we celebrate Christmas time, and, and we do celebrate by giving gifts. And the whole reason that we celebrate giving gifts is because of Jesus. There, there's three different ways that I, I see that playing out. We, we give gifts, and we're reminded that God gave us the gift of his son, that we would receive his son. So he is a gift to us. And then we offer gifts to Jesus. We are to offer him gifts, not in order for us to kind of get to heaven or try to have him like us more, but out of a heart of love, we offer Jesus Christ gifts. We are to give him our adoration. We are to worship him. We give him our lives. We lay down our lives. We invite him to take up residence in our life. Our, our life is all about him. Here, Lord, here is my life as a gift to you. I receive you. You remember when the Magi came, when the wise men came, they came bearing gifts, right? They gave Jesus gifts and they worshiped him. And then there's this sense in which we then give gifts to one another, we give these gifts because out of this overflow, are you kidding me? God has given me the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and I get to return to him. And now out of a heart of generosity and love and blessing, we give to each other. And the whole reason we give gifts at Christmas time is because of Jesus. It's not your birthday. It's his. And we give gifts because of him. Another icon. Another icon is Santa Claus. <laughs> Did you know that St. Nicholas is a real person? He was a real person. He lived in the fourth century, in the 300s. St. Nicholas, uh, when he was growing up as a boy, his mom and dad 
taught him to love Jesus. But his mom and dad died when he was young. He was orphaned. And they were very wealthy. And they left him a lot of money. When he continued to grow, he continued to grow in his love of Jesus Christ. And he became the bishop of Myra. St. Nicholas, the bishop of Myra, which is on the southeast coast of Turkey. And it's said that he took that wealth that he was given and he found opportunities to spread the gospel with that money and to bless children. In fact, in some of my studies as I was reading, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just kind of made up about St. Nicholas and there's, there's other things that, that are also true. They, they say at one point that he realized there was a family in, in the community and there were three daughters and those daughters did not have a dowry. In that time, if you're going to get married, you need to bring some, some money into that marriage. And they had nothing. So the potential would have been that they would become slaves. So out of a heart of love, it says he, he, he took up bags of gold, three bags of gold, walked past their home while the window was open, threw the bag of, bags of money in, and they landed in shoes or socks that were warming near the fire. <laughs> You kind of see where these kinds of things begin to grow. But out of a heart of generosity and the transformation of Jesus Christ, we have these images. The Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is a symbol of the everlasting life that Jesus gives. It said that the very first Christmas tree that was put in a home was put there by the German reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century, around 1536. He cut down a tree, brought it into his home to remind his family that Jesus Christ is the one who offers us everlasting life. And that tradition continued and people began to put uh, colored paper on their tree and, and gold foil. And they started to put candles on the tree as well to remind them that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so when we decorate our trees and our homes and we put the lights on and we plug our lights in and they turn on, it is a reminder that Jesus Christ he is the light of the world. The colors of Christmas, red and green. The colors of Christmas remind us of Jesus as well. Again, the green reminding us that he offers us everlasting life. The red reminding us that Jesus Christ bled and died for our sins on a cross. And then finally, I brought a candy cane. Another image and symbol of Christmas time. The candy cane began in Germany. The candy maker wanted a way to teach children and remind them about Jesus. And so the white represents the purity of Jesus. And the red and the red stripes that are here remind us of his blood and the stripes that he took for us on his back. And then he shaped it in the shape of a shepherd's hook to remind us that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. We have all these images, all of these different things that, that we have at Christmas time, and they're to point us to Jesus Christ. They have meaning. And so I would say, go, go ahead, you know, deck the halls, go, go shopping, buy your gifts, pass the gifts out, uh, sing the songs, do all the stuff. Just don't let the commercialization of Christmas allow you to forget the meaning of Christmas. What, what I'm trying to say is Jesus is the gift. He's the gift that has been given to the world. And it is for the world to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came, I believe that he was received in several different ways. God offered a gift, and that gift was received then, much like people receive him now. I'd like to share with you kind of four different ways that I see that Jesus was received and is still received. 
The first way that Jesus was received was with indifference. Indifference. I'm thinking about the religious leaders. I'm thinking about the teachers of that time. The people who should have been anticipating the gift of their Messiah the most were the ones who appreciated him the least. And I'm not sure why the religious establishment didn't uh, openly embrace this gift. I don't know if it was because there were 400 silent prophetic years from the book of Malachi until John the Baptist came on the scene. I'm not quite sure, but they knew to expect one. They knew that the final words in the book of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter four, that the great day of the Lord would be coming, that, that there would be righteousness that would be brought in healing on his wings, that there would come one to precede him telling this good news. So they knew, but they didn't really appreciate it. They were indifferent towards their Messiah. Remember when the wise men, they showed up, they said in Jerusalem, hey, okay, we're in the city capital. We've seen this star. We're not sure where to go from here. Do you know where the Jewish king is? So they bring in the religious leaders, the chief priests, those who are teachers, and they knew exactly where he was going to be born. They're smart. They remembered Micah 5.2. Our ruler is going to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Now, these people, they had head knowledge, but they lacked practical faith. They were unwilling. They were unwilling to budge and go the five or six miles to see if their Messiah had come. They were indifferent. And there's people today that are indifferent to the good news of Jesus. They'll, they'll hear about the birth of Jesus, maybe even hear that he died on a cross and rose from the grave, and they'll hear that and they'll just kind of shrug and move on. They'll say, oh, that's nice. And it won't affect their life at all. They're indifferent to the good news. They don't receive it. They give it a glance, a shrug, and off they go. I, I'm really glad that in our culture we still get to celebrate Christmas and the culture, for the most part, will, you know, will, will have these images and these things. And I think it's really just tolerated for the most part. The world is indifferent to who Jesus is. And the reason that I think that we you know, kind of continue to have Christmases in our, in our culture is because of the gifts. I think people tolerate Jesus because they're getting presents. As long as I get my present, I'm good. They forget. It's not their birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. But they are indifferent to the good news that the God of this heaven has offered them the gift of his son. Another way that Jesus was received would be with the ignorance. I'm thinking here about Bethlehem. In the town of Bethlehem, it was packed out. Everybody's gathering because they got to register in order to be taxed, and everybody's there. And this is why there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn, and they had to go out most likely to a stable. Bethlehem's packed. They had no idea, however that the God of the universe was going to be born right under their noses. They were ignorant of that because nobody told them. The invitation went out to the shepherds who were in the fields nearby, but nobody in town knew. They didn't know. And there are people who are ignorant today because no one has told them. No one has carried the good news of the gospel to them. So they remain in ignorance. And I know when we start talking about, you know, people and, and not hearing the gospel, there's always like this question, well, what about people who live on an island and they've never heard of Jesus? They've never had the gospel brought to them. Won't, won't God kind of just let them into heaven because they're, they're ignorant of this truth? Well, if that logic is true, then we should just stop telling people about Jesus. If he just lets people who have never heard about Jesus into heaven, then let's just not tell anybody. Let's keep it to ourselves, keep it quiet, and then God's going to let everybody who hasn't heard in. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, tells us that everybody's without excuse. There's nobody who's ignorant to God. It tells us there that God has made plain who he is. We see him in creation. He has revealed himself to mankind. But it also says there in our willful, sinful disobedience, we reject that God and we disobey the laws of God that we know that he has placed into our hearts. So nobody, nobody is without excuse. And so we must share the good news of Jesus Sometimes there's an ignorance because they haven't heard yet. Sometimes there's a willful ignorance from people because they just want to be, they, they don't want to be held accountable to what they know. Like they think, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to receive Jesus because I've got a whole bunch of questions. And as long as I remain ignorant of the answers to all of these questions about the mysteries of the universe and evolution and why bad things happen to good people and what about the person on the, the island over there, well, then I won't be held accountable. It is a willful ignorance. It's a smokescreen to avoid faith. Realizing that God has sent a gift, his son. So some people, they're indifferent to the gift. Some are ignorant to the gift. Some people are just outright resistant. Resistance. I think about King Herod here. King Herod wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He was so intimidated by the fact that that people were calling this baby king that he had all of the boys, two years and old, younger, murdered. One, one selfish king who could not humble himself, and there was bloodshed everywhere. He only had room on his heart for one king, and that's King Herod. And there are people like that today who want to resist Jesus because that would mean you're no longer king and ruler of your life. And there's only room in your heart for you. It's impossible to receive the gift with a heart that is rebellious and resistant and will not receive that gift. So there are people who are indifferent to Jesus. They're ignorant of who Jesus is. And there are people who are outright resistance. And yet there are people who accept him. He was received with acceptance. And here I think about the the magi and the shepherds. Now they came at different times. The shepherds were invited by the angels to go see Jesus just shortly after he was born. And then a little bit later, the magi would come following that star. But all of them came and they recognized that this is a gift. This child is a gift from God to us. And they worshiped him. So the question becomes, application, how do you receive Jesus? What's your attitude toward him? He is a gift that has been offered to you. And what he brings with him is the gift of salvation. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave gift. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. What does that mean? Die. So you wouldn't die, but that you would have eternal life. Salvation. This is what John picks up, or Paul picks up in uh, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, perishing. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So why do we need salvation? Well, we need salvation because we're all dying. We're all perishing of sin. Every single one of us. So we all need a savior. And there's only one savior. And when I say there's only one Savior, I realize that in our culture, we kind of bristle at that. Like, oh, that sounds a little 
narrow. That's exclusive. It's hard for our relativistic, inclusivistic ears to hear, no, there's, there's really only one way to get to God. We think, no, no, there's got to be a whole bunch of different ways, like a whole bunch of different paths that you can get to this God because everybody believes different things. But no, there's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. There's one gift under this tree, if you will. And people think, I can't believe you Christians would say that. How narrow of you. When I say that Jesus is the only way, don't hear me saying Jesus is the only way. Don't hear the church saying, well, you got to believe like we do. We're repeating what Jesus himself has said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, Jesus, what gives you that right? How can you say that? Well, I was born of a virgin. And I did some pretty amazing miracles with blind people seeing. People couldn't walk. They're walking. I walked on water. I died on a cross for people's sins. I bore all of that sin. I was dead, and I'm back three days later. I've ascended into heaven. I said to the right hand of the Father, and I offer you the gift of salvation. Is that exclusive? Yeah. Here's the deal. It's inclusive. He gives it to everyone. That invitation goes out to the world. The whole world is invited into this gift. And the Bible tells us that when we receive that gift, we get to be children of God. This is amazing. The, the rebels, the people who want nothing to do with him, end up getting to be an, a child adopted into the family. This is, I want to read you John 1 verse 9. This won't be on the screen. L- listen to this. The true light. So this is John giving the, the birth of Christ. The true light. Jesus is the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Jesus made the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. New life. The gift of new life. Yes, it's an exclusive claim. Jesus says, if you want to get to the Father, you got to come through the door. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody's going to get to that Father except through me. I am the gift given for you so that you might have salvation. So that you can live with me forever. Because we don't get to God on our own. As much as we think that we could, we can't. We don't get there based on our goodness. It is based on his goodness and his righteousness. We tend to think as we're just kind of trying to manufacture a God in our mind, if I were God, I think I would make it like this. I'm going to try to make more good things happen than bad things happen. I'm going to weigh the scale. And if somebody has more good things in their life, well, then I'll let them into my heaven. But that is not how it works. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And one act of disobedience is enough to separate you from that God for all time. So the weight of the scale for you and me is dead on the ground. And we're unable to lift the weight of that sin or put enough good things over here in the tally column to be like, God, you owe me now because I've done a lot of good things. He would say, no, you have sin and sin hanging over your head. 
And the only way that you have that side of the scale removed is through my son, Jesus Christ. And you receive his righteousness because there's nothing you can do on your own to receive salvation. I offer it to you. And maybe it's time for you to receive the gift. Maybe you've misunderstood the intentions of your father. Maybe you thought all along, he's trying to take from me. He's trying to remove my fun. He he wants something from me. That can be further from the truth. He wants to give you the gift of salvation, which comes by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, for any heart in this room that has moved past the place of of resistance, of indifference, of ignorance, and now their ears are opened up to hear from you, Lord, I just pray that you would move on their heart in such a way that they would realize that you have moved in their direction by sending your son, Jesus Christ, and you have come in our direction so that we might know you and love you and serve you, that you would wash us and cleanse us. So Lord, I pray for each heart. I pray for each person that they would embrace the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and that you would transform them. We have nothing to offer. We don't come to you with our goodness. We have imperfect, sinful lives. But we trust and know that you offer us cleansing. You offer us a new heart. You offer us new life. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.